You are listening to Equilibrium by Peace. My name is Serene Slabbard, and today we're talking to Alistair Van Cleek from Triangle Chicken Advocates about micro-sanctuaries and all things chickens. So today we're going to be talking about chickens, um, one of my favorite subjects, and their plight. So one of the really hard things is that I do find chickens are kind of you can you can talk more about this, but they are pretty much one of the largest number of land animals um, or individuals that do get used for food. And I do find there's even I know this nobody's going to love me saying this, but I feel like there's a little bit of a speciesism even within the vegan community um, with regards to chickens and fish, especially. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know what your thoughts are on that. Um, no, I mean, I basically agree 100 percent with everything that you said. Um, you know, we started our chicken-focused sanctuary in 2014, um, Triangle Chicken Advocates, and uh, we realized very quickly just how different the view of chickens is compared to uh, more charismatic mammals like, you know, pigs and cows. And um, I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, us inheriting messaging and images that we get from, you know, culture at large who really kind of like, you know, like we gravitate towards cute animals and, and animals who are like very, you know, like fuzzy and warm, right. And chickens are just like angry dinosaurs. So <laughs> like, you know, cute angry um, dinosaurs. yeah. So they, they, they're, they're very different. I mean, we, we find that, that chickens remind us a lot of cats just in their personality, but in terms of, um, uh, their behaviors and, and, you know, the fact that they, they're not mammals, you know, it, it definitely, um, I think they're a lot less familiar to people than, than, you know, kind of these, uh, cute, warm and fuzzy, um, mammals. Um, and, and again, like so much of that is also built into cultural narratives about what animals matter and what animals don't. And, um, one of the things that I've, I've, I've always talked about, um, you know, since we started our, our rescue work is really kind of challenging that inherited speciesism that vegans have that brackets like companion animals, like dogs and cats, um, away from the so-called food animals like cows and pigs, and then, you know, chickens and turkeys and, and other, and other animals who we're much less familiar with. And, it, and I don't think that it's a deliberate ignorance or like a deliberate, um, you know, animosity on behalf of, of vegans who, you know, want to avoid causing unnecessary suffering to animals. It's mostly that our food system is created such that we're kept hidden or they're kept hidden from us so that we're not familiar with um, just who these individuals are. And so when we tend to think of farmed animals as vegans, like the messaging that we typically inter, inter, inter encounter is the large number. So, you know, 9 billion land animals are killed for food every year in the United States. And so many billions more are, are alive and part of that system um, just on the industrial scale. And then when you look at like the backyard farming or small scale farming, you know, sustainability, uh, sustenance farming, like, you know, billions more are part of that system and alive and are being exploited. And we're not taught to, to think about the individuals who are trapped in those systems. We're taught mostly to focus about the impact in terms of numbers. And um, I think that also creates an additional barrier for us um, as vegans to, to really recognize who the individuals who make up those numbers are. Um, and, you know, that's why uh, there are a number of, of challenges, I think, to um, kind of really recognize that, that, that species as narrative that, that um, our culture creates. 
And so these things like the, you know, hiding farmed animals behind like the slaughterhouse walls or behind the, the fences of the farms. And also, um, you know, kind of really focusing on the, on the numbers of, of, uh, uh, of people who are, are individuals who are being killed rather than thinking about like what each individual goes through um, are, are things that keep us from even like having the ability to recognize like the individuality of those experiences. And so that's something that we really tried to focus on um, kind of in our, our messaging and that we've focused on um, in our advocacy and education work over the years, um, you know, with our sanctuary. Yeah, I love that. And I think that there is a disconnect there. And it's almost like, I love the idea that you have with regards to micro sanctuary, because that's the thing. That's the other organization that you co-founded, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Micro Sanctuary Resource Center. And right. uh, is it a newer focus for you with the whole um, doing kind of like an advocacy within your own home? So for activists to adopt um, hens, not roosters, check your bylaws, um, and in a sense, make it more norm within the community to see those. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, so so the, the way that, that we kind of came up with the micro-sanctuary micro concept was because, you know, our whole thing started with two hens whom we rescued from a shelter. So, you know, like we really, recognized how big of an impact just one or two individual animals can have on like, you know, like your entire worldview. Like I, I say that like my entire understanding of being vegan changed the moment that we brought those two hens home. Um, they're the reason that we started Triangle Chicken Advocates. They're the ones who inspired us to, to like conceptualize what we were doing as a micro sanctuary and to start like the micro sanctuary movement and, you know, the micro sanctuary resource center. And so, um, I, I think that what micro sanctuaries really kind of focus in on is the the importance of seeing um, these exploited uh, uh, animals as individuals and recognizing the kind of um, importance that that their individual experiences can have on uh, us as as humans and as advocates and as vegans um, and really like kind of prioritizing not like the number of, of residents that you have at a, a sanctuary, but but focusing on like the individual ex experience and the individual relationship. And so that's why, you know, to us, like a sanctuary of one rescued non-human is just as much a sanctuary as a, as a you know, a hundred acre farm with, you know, several hundred animals. Um, it's not a matter of, uh, it's just a matter of like difference of degree and not a difference in kind of, of what's what's happening. And one of the benefits that micro sanctuaries have and kind of the ways that we can complement larger sanctuaries um, is that uh, when you're talking about doing sanctuary on a scale of like one or two hens, you can do that in an apartment, you know, in, 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 in town. And so that makes it more accessible both for people who want to be doing the work um, and are interested in caregiving, you know, because the likelihood of you buying a 20 acre farm and caring for, you know, dozens of rescued farm animals is probably, yeah, exact, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's a little expensive. <laughs> and so not everybody's, not everybody's going to have access to that. And, you know, there's so many issues built into um, the, the hindrances and barriers to getting to that point that, you know, involve everything from, you know, generational wealth and, and like racist land laws to just the fact that like so many of us, you know, as millennials and younger, like, we don't have the 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 wealth that our that past generations did, and so um, 
you know, so micro sanctuaries are much more accessible to people who'd like to be doing this work and want to ha- to, to do the rescue and caregiving and have those relationships with, um, you know, uh, uh, and animals who aren't typically seen as companions, but also it, it, it increases accessibility for people who want to learn about like those individuals, um, you know, to be able to get to a, a micro sanctuary because micro sanctuaries are able to be where people are rather than being like a destination where people have to travel to get to. Um, and, you know, so like if, if the only sanctuary in your area is like a several hours drive into the country, a lot of people may not be able to get there. But if you have a neighbor who has a chicken micro sanctuary in their backyard, you know, you may be able to visit with the chickens and learn about them and talk to the, you know, the humans about about these things. Um, and so I, I feel it's a, it's a micro sanctuaries provide a really nice complement to larger sanctuaries who have a lot more resources and, you know, kind of capacity. Um, by being able to be more accessible, both for people who want to do the rescue and the caregiving, as well as the public who has opportunity to kind of like get educational, um, you know, opportunities and 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 uh, and experience kind of direct access and you know uh, build relationships with with rescued individuals. Yeah, and it's it's way more sustainable too because it's not the like a larger financial commitment. You do have to have the financial commitment of like possibly getting the implants and making sure you. Right. Have- the good vet, local vet that has the experience. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's such a next level, amazing form of, of you're making, you're changing the life of these individuals, even if it's one or two, that's still, it's almost like right. starfish story, right? Like we can't, <laughs> we can't save them all, but you say once. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just wanted to, for anybody interested in micro sanctuary, do check out open sanctuary. They have this, um, course that they created, for anybody who's interested in taking care of chickens, if you have no previous experience, um, and I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and there's a great, there's a lot of great online um, materials as, at Open Sanctuary. There's also the, you know, um, online community of the Vegans with Chickens Facebook group. Yes, that's so, really cool. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that does well, correct? That's your baby? Uh, my partner, yeah, my partner actually started that group um, right after we rescued the two, the two hens who started, started TCA. And, and it was really just sort of like, you know, I mean, we we didn't have um, direct uh, caregiving experience for chickens before we rescued them, and we weren't even planning to keep them long term. We were planning to place them at a sanctuary, and so you know. But what we came to that with was um, one, like some uh, experience doing dog and cat rescue and caregiving. So, like my partner had a, a, like experience doing some like vet care type or not vet care, but like, you know, uh, medical care stuff for like cats and things. So there was a little bit of that knowledge there, but two, it was mostly just sort of a willingness to learn the best like uh, 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 information and the best practices that were available for chickens and not being focused on like, okay, like chickens are farmed animals. Therefore we have to follow farm, you know, protocols and farm traditions for caring for chickens. It was mostly like you know, we don't see any distinction between the chickens and the cats and the dogs. And so how can we give the chickens that exact same quality of care that we would be giving to our, you know, so-called companion animals like dogs and cats? Um, and, and, you know, like, I think that was actually really helpful for us long-term was because we weren't coming to it from this farming perspective. We're like, okay, well, we live on a farm, these are farmed animals. And so we're just going to, you know, do what farmers do. And it was more sort of like, no, we're coming this at this from like a family. So like, these are our family members and like, what's the, what's the best level of care we can give them, whether they're chickens or cats or dogs or rabbits or, 
you know, pigs, whatever it is, like, you know, um, I think a lot of times, like, um, uh, speaking of inherited, inherited narratives and, and models and stuff, like, I feel like a lot of times, uh, people who are interested in doing uh, sanctuary work can start off with uh, the model of a farm, because, you know, that's where the farmed animals live is on a farm. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that can create instances where um, the, the farming model is not the one that's actually in the best interests of the, the individual animals. And chickens are a great example of that because, you know, as we were talking about earlier, like a wide open pasture is the worst place for a chicken. But because farms were made with open pasture for the large grazing animals, you know, the chickens were just thrown in there as an afterthought. Um, and so like, you know, the, the, the farms weren't built for the chickens, the farms were, were made for, for, uh, animals who needed large, uh, grazing pasture. Um, and so like, you know, if you, if you created your chicken sanctuary based on like the open pasture model of a farm, you'd actually be doing something that's in the worst interests of your chickens because they don't like, like wide open spaces like that. Um, why, why Justin, why do they not? <laughs> Um, because, uh, because one chickens are descended from jungle fowl. So jungles aren't really known for wide open pasture. Um, <laughs> so chickens instincts are to be in dense, like jungle forced type growth. And so what they really feel most comfortable in instinctually is to have places that's very like dense with, uh, vegetation, uh, like a canopy that they can be underneath and then lots of places where they can like go and hide under and stuff like that, you know, that like you would find in a forest or in a, um, in a jungle. And so that, those are instincts that have been carried on for millennia, um, that, that these birds who were descended from, uh, jungle dwelling, uh, you know, birds, um, that's still where their instincts are is to be in areas like that. And we actually really, really saw this firsthand when we created our sanctuary because our backyard, um, where we started, where we had the chickens at first was just a wide open grassy area. Um, and we realized that they would spend some time out in the open, but they, what they typically tended to do was to find things to kind of hang out underneath. Um, and so what we started doing was we started uh, building our habitat to be much more like a, like a forest garden, like an edible forest garden. Um, and, and what we find is that they, they, they spend a lot more time kind of right next to or underneath um, things that provide them a lot of cover. Um, and, you know, we also have like aviary netting and stuff like that, but we have like large fruit trees and under the fruit trees, we have bushes and like, you know, cl uh, clusters of bamboo and things like that. And they just, they spend all their time almost like kind of, you know, hiding around um, in those like areas that provide them cover. So, you know, if you actually like learn about the instinctual needs of, um, of chickens, you realize that a farming model is really the worst thing that you could do for them. Um, and that's why like things like pasture eggs are, are are not like something that's really all that humane. I mean, they may not be in cages, but they're also not in a habitat that's um, built for their best interests. Um, and so things like that, you know, I think like if you, if you don't start from the model of like, this is what a farm looks like and I'm gonna put the animals there and more sort of like, what are the instinctual needs of the animals? You know, you can end up in a place that looks very different. And um, there's a, a kind of movement that's growing in the sanctuary world called animal-centered design. Um, you know, that, uh, that a number of sanctuaries have been working on. And um, uh, it's really kind of thinking about that and like not just accepting a farm model as kind of what um, is the best for, for these farmed animals, but thinking about what are the kind of the instinctual um, uh, needs uh, of, the, of, the, of the different animal species and then creating habitat that best fits that.
Um, and, you know, with chickens, it's definitely not an open pasture. <laughs> One thing that I get a lot of requests for, I don't, you probably do as well. I think I remember you saying it is one of those things is egg hatching, people doing egg hatching. And then, um, or it's more for you backyard hens, right? Like you guys get a lot of requests for backyard hens. Um, you mean in terms of like people wanting to adopt them or people trying to get rid of? Get rid like, of. Yeah, I mean, so the people tend to um, want to to see backyard chicken keeping as kind of this really like happy living situation, you know, where the hens are cared for like pets and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, we've rescued hundreds of chickens over the years. Um, and most of those are roosters who are coming from backyard chicken situations. Um, or like, you know, we've dealt with a lot of, of situations of like backyard hens who are kept in, in inappropriate living situations and, you know, they get killed by predators or, or seriously injured by predators. And, you know, I, I won't get into too many details because it's kind of, you know, it can be kind of uh, overwhelming. But the, the moral of the stories is that the, the sanctuaries of all sizes are being inundated with requests to take unwanted roosters. Um, as well as like, you know, like hens who are kind of getting older and aren't laying as many eggs and things like that. And that's all being driven by um, the backyard chicken keeping uh, fad um, or, you know, fad trend, whatever you want to call it like that. And I mean, I think for a lot of people, it comes from the place of like, well, I don't want to support factory farming. And so I'm going to get my eggs from these happy hens in the backyard. But the problem is, is that, you know, that comes with all sorts of, of um uh, suffering and exploitation for chickens and, you know, and, and a lot of the same practices that are, are involved with like industrial scale farming. Um, like just for example, most people who have backyard chickens are ordering chicks or buying chicks from like farm supply stores or from hatcheries. And they don't realize that like the hens that they're buying, like the chickens that they're buying, you know, are, are usually supposed to be hens. And the reason that they're hens is because all the roosters are being killed at the hatchery. So, you know, if you buy sexed chicks or if you buy chicks who are said to be all female, like that doesn't mean that you've, you know, like uh, avoided the problem of roosters. It just means that you had somebody else kill the roosters for you and you're paying for that when you buy, buy hens. So I think that, that in general, people aren't super interested in roosters as, you know, just kind of animals who exist. And there are so many kind of negative stereotypes and negative narratives about roosters in, in society that um, sanctuaries don't really talk about it so much. And then those of us who focus on roosters, like we can only say so much because like, you know, we, we just we're, we were constantly uh, being asked to take in more roosters. But, you know, hands down, like like the, the number one animals who are being uh, you know, are, are trying to be handed over to sanctuaries are unwanted backyard roosters. Yeah. you know? And so, you know, like, I, that's why I find it very frustrating that, that, that vegans especially are so willing to say, well, you know, backyard eggs are fine, but just don't eat like, you know, battery cage eggs or don't eat like factory farmed eggs and things like that. Because like, you know, one, it really shows like a, a lack of awareness of kind of what all is involved with making an egg for someone who's for someone who's going to eat it. Like, it's not just a matter of every day, like an egg pops out of a chicken's butt and like, you know, it's magic. Like there's all sorts of problems, whether it's the roosters, the biology of the hens who, you know, are going to basically like their bodies are, are built to self-destruct because they lay so many eggs, um, you know, all these issues. Um, but two, like, you know, it, it, 
it's not our job as vegans to to tell people how to exploit animals you know and so like rather than just excusing backyard eggs or like you know ignorantly saying that they're they're you know they're okay for people to eat like our job should be to kind of actually provide people with the information um and so you know i feel like like sanctuaries that are like ours who are focused on chickens like that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to say no like you know this egg is not a, a natural food source for humans that's like you know nice and healthy and happy like there are so many other problems that are related to it um and, and it doesn't matter whether it comes from a you know an industrial farm or from your neighbor's backyard like there are all these problems that are involved with it and you know um, if you don't, if you don't know that and you're not aware of it, like it can be easy to say, oh, well, it's fine. Just, you know, eat backyard eggs, but just don't eat like, you know, like, like factory farmed eggs or something like that. And, you know, unfortunately it continues to put chickens in situations where, um, you know, they're being, they're being harmed or they're being abandoned, um, uh, you know, for people, but by people who, you know, find it inconvenient to keep them. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, it is a systemic issue. And that's why I love that humane hoax, um, webinar that you did so for anybody who's interested to learn more go check that out for sure um, yeah and we have uh, just real quick to plug we also have um uh i guess when the i'm not sure when people will be seeing this but we're going to be doing uh this year's humane hoax conference at the end of february so um uh you know if this comes out after that like the recordings will be available yeah, on our no, website yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i figured so, yeah, so, yeah so uh, humane ho humanehoax.org will have all of our videos from from this one and past conferences um including our chicken webinar um for people to check out just to go quickly back to the 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 eggs um mm -hmm. one of the big thing for me is that people again this 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 idealism where parents teachers even people with backyard hen operations egg operations, they think, oh, I'm going to get the eggs and I'll just hatch them. And when, if there's any roosters, which I'm sure there won't be any, um, I will just, you know, I'll deal with it. Like, we'll just, yeah. and then they, the, they hatch and like you, we know, um, around four to six months old is when the boys start to be boys. And then you get inundated with these requests of like, oh, they're just the most amazing personalities. We love them so much, but we can't keep them because the bylaws right. are coming. And this is for, this is one of the things that I, I find is really frustrating for myself. Um, and I don't know how we can educate the public more. I, I know it's just continuing talking about it, but do you get that a lot as well with regards to school projects and mm -hmm. things that people getting um, in contact with you with not wanting to send them back to the farms or right. the farmers not wanting to take them back because they can't go back into the food system Right. Well, so so the typical scenario that we see is like, I, you know, I bought these chicks from the store. Like, oops, we found we one of them turned out to be a rooster. He's starting to crow. Our neighbors are complaining. You know, the city is telling us we have to get rid of him. We love him so much. He's got a great personality. We don't want anybody to kill him. We yeah. want him to go to a great home. So can you please take him and provide him a forever, you know, a, a wonderful forever home? Um, and you know, once you see like. 2000 of those emails, like, yeah. you know, and, you know, in a week, like it's, it, you start to it, like, everybody has the exact same story. Yeah. Um, and I think, so it's, it's really complicated because even if like people who did up end up with one of those roosters, like actually genuinely did love them and want to keep them, most cities and towns that allow chickens prohibit roosters because they're, you know, nuisances because they're loud, um, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, so there, there's like a number of factors that make it impossible 
Um, and then a lot of people, they just, they just don't want them. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tale as old as time. And I don't think people really recognize how systemic of a problem it is, um, because it, they seem, they see their one instance as like, you know, the only thing. Yeah. So like, oh, we have this one rooster. Surely there's somebody out there who can take this one rooster, you know, right. But meanwhile, like, like sanctuaries are just being asked to take in rooster after rooster after rooster. And, you know, it just, it's, it's not a sustainable, a sustainable situation. And a lot of like animal shelters are saying no to taking in, um, you know, uh, people who want to surrender roosters, um, like a number of, of, of shelters in our area, they, they tell people they won't take them, um, you know, and they won't even like, if there's a stray rooster who shows up in your yard, they won't even send an animal control officer out to catch them. Um, you know, so, so a lot of, a lot of like animal control and, and animal shelters are just washing their hands of them and because they, they just don't want to, um, and can't, you know, can't deal with them. And so, you know, it's, a uh, it's very frustrating because I feel like the, the people who agitate to, um, have backyard chicken allowances in cities and the like city councils who approve these things they are creating a situation in which it's guaranteed that they're going to be these unwanted animals um, who need homes and aren't provided for and, you know, can't find safe accommodations, but they don't want to recognize the way in which they're actually creating the problem. And they have no interest in um, providing exceptions for people to keep, to keep roosters if they, you know, would like to find a way to do so. Um, all it takes is one neighbor complaining about your rooster and you know they're 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 you're you're done like there's no willingness to to be to work with you um i haven't seen a single case where somebody was um able to convince like you know city council or animal control to let them keep their rooster when there were complaints um so it's a really unsustainable situation just on that front um but you know more and more cities are allowing people to keep backyard chickens and you know the the number of roosters who need homes is just is just continuing to grow um and in terms of of education i mean i think it's going to be a very slow process um just because you know like when the pandemic started people went out and panic bought chicks thinking that they were going to have this like you know safe food source and so the the there's no interest culturally to to really kind of understand what goes on with chickens and with eggs um, because I don't think people really, really care about, about chickens. Um, and so I think like one of the things that micro sanctuaries, especially and, um, chicken focused micro sanctuaries can really do is to start to create kind of more of a groundswell of different messaging about chickens. Um, and I don't feel like we can really do a whole lot if we don't have city councils who are willing to listen and, you know, the the cultural narrative is, is tending more towards like telling people how awesome it is to get backyard chickens and how easy it is to keep them and all this sort of stuff. Like, it's really hard to push against that because there's so much like, you know, momentum towards continuing to see chickens as just like little egg laying machines. Um, and so like, that's why I feel like if you can, if you can have a, a growing number of people who are, um, presenting chickens as like, companions and talking about about egg laying and roosters um in ways that like are engaging with like people on social media or or, like directly like in their communities like that can maybe help to 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 change but i mean i think like one of the one of the best opportunities that micro sanctuaries have um that we really haven't i think 
um, taken advantage of or tried to really push on more is the fact that micro sanctuaries who live in cities are by default like tax paying voting members of, of citizens of their of their their city. And so like, you know, if you realize that like the city has rooster bands and all these ordinances that are causing problems, like, you know, like we're experiencing, like go talk to your city council members, you know, like start, start a petition or like, you know, work with animal control to think about like what's going on with the chickens who are living in, in that, in your city. And like, you can have a direct voice in ways that you're not going to have as like somebody living out in the country who doesn't like, you know, the, the factory farm chicken sheds next door. Like, you know, it's just like having a realistic direct impact on massive corporations is very different than having direct access to like a city council member or to like an animal control board um, in your city where you live and pay taxes and, you know, and things like that. And so like, that's something that I think micro sanctuaries can, can really be, um, you know, uh, change, like create change in is by taking advantage of the fact of, of that they are living in the, these places where the, you know, where the animals are, are, are coming from, where that they're, that they're um, caring for. And, uh, you know, like it's a, I think that's something that we haven't really talked enough about, but hopefully like over time, like as we start to think about ways to do more direct action, like as micro sanctuaries, I feel like that's something that provides a lot of, of great opportunity is really thinking about ways in which like they, uh, micro sanctuaries can be, you know, active citizens of, of the places where they live. Yeah, and that actually got me going, um, thinking on this one too. As as a mom, I think one of the frustrating things for me when my our eldest went into school is that the chick hatching programs or any pretty much yeah. any, any hatching programs in schools, I was so shocked that that was still a thing. And this was years <laughs> ago. And you know me, I've been trying to figure out solutions and trying to um, put some resources up on PCU Maine for alternatives. And you can do all these things. But I think a lot of parents have to realize they have a voice. So if you parent and you have your kid in a school, go to those pack meetings, get involved, because that's the only way for everybody to stand up and start making these small changes. We right. got more vegan food into our school because I sent an email with facts about yeah. health and inclusion and things like that. So I think we all need to use our voices. I think I think if, I think if like you know one micro sanctuary is able to make like a breakthrough like for example with getting an exception to a rooster ban or with like getting a school to to stop a hatching project like because micro sanctuaries are such a community of like you know interconnection and like you know conversation online like that's something that could provide a model that people could use in other areas you know and that's like something that like from the beginning um, like the micro sanctuary movement was so much about open, oh, like open resources and, and like, you know, um, uh, open access and, and like communication online so that we were all sharing the, the, the materials that we were uh, coming up with or the like, you know, caregiving information that we were finding. And rather than kind of keeping it like institutional, like at our one sanctuary, like we were really focused on creating networks of communication that span across the world. And so like, I, you know, I think that like, if we're able to start making uh, like, you know, progress on these er in these areas, like that's sort of the thing where like you can, you can share that, that approach or that model with everybody else and then they can be able to possibly replicate it in their, in their area. Um, and so it's not just a matter of like having a resource that, that people can use, but it's also a matter of like, you know, a process and a, and a way of, of doing direct action that can be replicated um, by people in different places. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, 
re recognizing the way that that like you as an individual can have a, a direct voice with like your school, you know, your children's school or with your city or whatever, like in addition to, to you being able to have that direct access, you can then also become like a resource for other people um, to use as like a model or an example for um, making similar progress. And to me, that's really exciting because I don't feel like, um, you know, we're going to be able to change the attitudes of backyard, backyard chickens from some like, you know, like, uh, like online promotional campaign. Like, I feel like a lot of it really has to be kind of um, much more at a grassroots level and, and working with um, communities like where we're at. Um, and I think that's something that micro sanctuaries can do really well. No, I agree. I agree. And, I, and, and that's why I think as soon as you meet a chicken, personally, you become a chicken advocate <laughs> because they're just so amazing. I had to foster two and that's why I'm like total chicken mom now. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that you're also, I know this is going to take a sidetrack a bit, but I know you also started uh, Vegans with Fish. Is that correct, Facebook? Oh, um, so we didn't start it directly, but so um, what, after Vegans with Chickens got started, like people were, were realizing that like having a group that was, you know, um, that was populated just by vegans who were interested in caregiving was so much better than dealing with like these other existing groups that were all by yes. people who were looking to exploit and breed and like all these sorts of things. And so very quickly, some other like vegans with, you know, groups got started. Um, and um, so I believe the Vegans with Fishes group was uh, started by one of our uh, MRC board members. Um, and like, so there are a number of, of the vegans with X groups that are, um, that are, are on Facebook and like we, and, you know, directly interact with or participate in a number of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really kind of like groundbreaking, uh, just because there really wasn't an off forum for people who were vegan and were doing rescue and caregiving to like talk with other vegans who were doing the caregiving. Yeah. And I mean, like vegans with chickens is, is like, I think up, upwards near like 6,000 members now they're all over the world. And like, it's been such a huge, um, like uh, a game changer for chicken care and chicken education, I believe. Um, like a great example is with like, you know, the, the uh, super Lauren implants for, for yeah. egg laying. When we started it, like we were like one of the very few people who were doing them and like starting to talk about them. Um, and it was sort of like, you know, constantly just having like arguments with people is like, no, it's not natural for chickens to lay eggs continually. And no, these aren't, you know, going to like turn your chickens into zombies and, and stuff like that. <laughs> and now, I mean, now, I mean, there are still people who have really negative views about, about them as an intervention for chickens. Um, and so I don't want to pretend like, like, you know, there's a unanimous voice amongst vegan chicken caregivers that, that these the implants are like the best thing ever, but you know, they, a lot of people realize that they're they're amazing and that they save you know save lives um and so like like that's something that vegans with chickens really like the the facebook group really drove was that that like growth and awareness of of um this this uh you know possibility for care and um you know like i think having having that sort of example of like a community for people to come together and talk about their like what they learn and their best practices and and things like that, like, I mean, I think it's a, it's a huge um, kind of moment in the sanctuary world because, you know, um, not just talking to other people about like running a sanctuary, but really having these like groups that are focused on one species and focused on like the best possible caregiving for one species can be a really great way to like, um, you know, kind of raise the bar for what it, what it means to like, you know, be a chicken rescuer or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really amazing. And, and uh, uh, 
it's, it's been really heartening. I mean, as much as chickens are still kind of the underdog amongst like the, you know, the farmed animals and, and, and so forth. Like, I feel like, um, the way things are today are, are, are night and day difference from where they were when we, even when we started in 2014, um, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's changed a lot. And I, I think like having that community of chicken caregivers, uh, talking to each other is a big part of that. I mean, I think for me really looking forward, um, what we are hoping to do is to, um, you know, really start to, to create more, um, uh, educational resources for people who want to start micro sanctuaries, um, and like have like working. So we're working with open sanctuary project as we have been, and, you know, really trying to think about like opportunities for growth, uh, of micro sanctuaries, like in urban environments and for, um, ways for micro sanctuaries to kind of, uh, I mean, like we're, you know, we're, we're really interested in things like direct action and mutual aid and stuff like that. And so thinking about ways that micro sanctuaries can, um, you know, take advantage of models of, uh, mutual aid and existing networks for mutual aid and thinking about bringing, uh, messages of, of, um, like animal liberation and, uh, um, that's sort of like more of a anti-species, anti activism, uh, mindset to a lot of the outreach that gets done. Um, and so that's kind of where we're looking forward to in the future is really thinking about ways to um, provide more educational materials for, for people who want to do um, like micro sanctuaries on an urban scale um, and, you know, to things like that. Well, I, I do find, I feel like, I think, because I was involved with activism before peace. And mm -hmm. so I think that a common thread between activists as well as within the sanctuary community is burnout and compassion yeah. and all that stuff, right? But I know that one of the things that activists do find helpful is going to a sanctuary if they're doing a lot of action uh, actions and getting all drained by that and then going to a sanctuary and seeing those individuals. But I almost feel like what makes me excited is the fact that if you if you can create that sanctuary environment at your home and it can be a form of activism that it's almost the best of both worlds where you're act being an activist but also offering that safe space right yeah i mean well one of the things that we've always tried to say through um, micro sanctuary resource center is that caregiving is activism um yeah. you know and we've really tried to to challenge the what people accept as like like legitimate forms of vegan activism um, and so much, there's so much that, that kind of like cultural baggage that comes with that. Like, for example, like viewing things like animal care and rescue as sort of like women's work and like devaluing, you know, just kind of these things like, like, you know, like doing rescue and caring for, for individuals and that sort of stuff as less important than this kind of like out front on the streets, like, you know, kind of militant activism or, or things like that. And, um, like, like there's a there's a lot that's built into kind of the the way that those two things are valued differently um but like we've really tried to say like no like there's not just one way to do vegan activism you can do it in so many different ways and providing sanctuary to you know one individual in need is a form of activism like you know you're like one you're having a, you're doing direct work with um somebody who's you know, been exploited by, by this, by the, these oppressive systems. And you're doing most likely doing quite a lot of like education and stuff through that. Um, and so, you know, I think that sanctuaries can be places of like, you know, kind of sanctuary for humans who are, are doing like on the, on the ground activism work and stuff like that. But two, I think that like, you know, we can help to expand um, the understanding of what it means to be an, a vegan activist and to recognize that like, you know, doing caregiving is a way to, to do activism 
but also it's a way to like inform the activism that you do outside of the home or, you know, away from, from, uh, you know, your direct family. Um, and, you know, like, like, so all of my activism as a vegan and my educational like work and stuff has been, uh, changed from the, the moment that we started our sanctuary. Um, and to me, it feels a lot, a lot more like authentic and also a lot more, yeah, a lot more meaningful because like I, see the work that I do in terms of the individuals whose um, experiences are, are informing me as, as, a, you know, as an advocate. Um, and so, you know, I think that like learning more about what it means to do caregiving and what it means to have these direct relationships to those individuals who have actually suffered under, um, you know, these exploitative, exploitative systems can be really informative for us. And to me, I also think can be really like, um, motivating and and you know and, and nourishing to see just the ways in which like um you know we're able to benefit from in relationships with them just as we're able to provide benefit to them you know through caregiving um you know and and, and again I, I like i really think like emphasizing like you know don't think about them as farm animals think no. about them as individuals who are becoming members of your family and how can you care for them in an appropriate way and you know at, at its heart i really think that's kind of the thing that micro sanctuaries um are all about is like you know getting like 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 um uh rejecting all of these inherited uh understandings of who farmed animals are and seeing them as individual members of your family and and caring for them in that way and normalizing um, it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, you know, I think that that really emphasizing that that um, the importance of that direct relationship and, and, and um, seeing those um, individual animals as individuals and not just like representatives of, a, of, a, of like a farm, you know, species yeah. Yeah. is really important is really kind of what micro sanctuaries I think are focused on is, is, um, is approaching it that way. Thank you so much to Alistair Van Cleek for recording this podcast with us. If you would like to learn more about the Microsanctuary Resource Center, do check out their website, microsanctuary.org, as well as the Facebook group, Vegans with Chickens. As well, thank you so much for joining us today and learning more about microsanctuaries and chickens. And hope everybody has an amazing day further. And until next time, take care.